you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, and we will continue views from the cross this morning as we look at the crucifixion and as we are preparing our way to the cross to Easter. Um, This morning we look at the topic, salvation. As Jesus hung on the cross some 2,000 years ago. Last week we saw that uh, he spoke to his father and the word that he spoke to his father, the first prayer, the first statement that he made was, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They knew exactly that they were crucifying a man. They knew exactly that they were getting rid, so they thought, of their enemy. But they had no clue that they were crucifying the Son of God. And Jesus says to them, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke chapter 23. Let me read for us the account of the crucifixion. As Luke records it, starts in verse 26 and goes down through verse 43. As they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. There followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away and put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. And here are the verses that we will look at in depthly this morning. One of the criminals, verse 39 states, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, 
Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, indeed, justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, he has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I come and I ask that this event that we are looking at over these weeks, Father, the... uh, Familiarity of it may allow us, so we think, to check out for a few moments. God, it's so easy for those who, those of us who say we are yours to kind of check the box. Father, I pray that we would never insinuate that from this platform that, Father, we would seek your face and seek your word. God, you would meet with us and, Lord, you would use your word to draw us close to you. Father, that we would meet with you at your throne with bended knee, heads bowed, surrendered lives for your name. Father, this passage, this event that took place some 2,000 years ago is the greatest event of all of history. Father, may that come clear to every man, every woman, every girl, every boy that is in this place this morning. May there be clarity in our minds of how much you loved us. You loved us just as much as you loved both of those thieves on the cross. Father, might we understand just as one of them did who you are. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Two statements this morning concerning the cross and that of salvation. Two statements for you, two statements for me as we come to understand this event. The first is this. The the need, it's there. The need is there for all need salvation. In every section of those of you that are seated in the room sit men and women, boys and girls with the need of salvation. The need is extreme. The need is great. The need is dire. 
There is no greater question that any of us will ever ask, that will ever come to our minds, that will ever be um, used and will be spoken than this question. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with the Savior of the world? God in His Word has stated in Romans chapter 3, He says, For all have sinned. Every man on the face of the earth today, every man on the face of the earth of years gone by and every man that will ever breathe, walk, talk, live on this earth, all have sinned and all have fallen short of God's glory. What words? What what piercing solitary, image-forming, look-in-the-mirror words that are spoken, all are sinners. These verses, especially the one verse that we're focusing on today, I tell you, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise are words of challenge, but they are words of comfort, are words that pierce, yet are words that bring peace. Some of you here today, some of you are believers in Christ, and in Understanding that statement that some of you are believers in Christ so that we're all kind of on the same level ground, here is what I mean by that statement that you have stated. Whether it has been near or maybe it's been far off. Maybe it was a few weeks ago or maybe it was decades ago. But you have come to the conclusion, you have come to the point and you have said, I know that I need a Savior, I know my spot, I know that I'm a sinner by nature and by choice, and I need someone to save me. And you have reached, you have called, you have spoken to Jesus, you have spoken to God the Father, and you have asked Him to come into your life to save you. whether that was near or far long ago, maybe, maybe you are thinking, you know what, all right, that moment has passed. Now I can get on with my life. Salvation for you and for me, for any, is never a momentary state. Salvation is not a moment's decision and then you and I can go and live life the same as we were living. No, salvation changes one's life now and salvation changes one's life forever. Jesus stated it this way in John's Gospel. In John chapter 10, verse 10, He said, I came that you, that I, that that we might have life and have it 
abundantly. I came that you might have life, that you might have it now, and you might have it in the hereafter. I came that you might have life now abundant, and I came that you might have life forever abundantly. Salvation is needed by all. And every single person on the face of the earth is looking for salvation. Yet, not very many are looking in the right direction. Last week, uh, Paige and I went out to dinner, and um, like a nice husband and nice gentleman, I let her out at the door so that she would not have to walk, and then I drove around the restaurant where we were at Carabas, and I parked the vehicle, and I did this. I pressed the little key fob and the little button there, and it locked my truck. And as I was walking, I got a little further away from the truck just to make sure because I'm in Memphis and I pressed it and locked and and the horn honked. And so I knew that my truck was locked. And I kept walking. And as I walked in that parking lot to get to the door, I saw a 2014 Corvette. And I was willing for this key fob of a Ford 250 to unlock the doors of a shiny, pristine, I mean, the leather was so, so, I mean, it was. I looked in the window, hoping that the owner wasn't around, but I looked in the window, it was a stick shift, exactly what I would want, the color is what I would want, and I started pressing the button. Just, I was willing for these to open the door of a 2014 Corvette. Many of us have in the past, or many of us know of those that are even now, they're willing for people to save them. If you're in financial distress, guess what? There are multiplied saviors for you with that problem. That that problem is... You need some financial counseling. You need, you need to be like those in the 80s and the 90s that were in those restaurants and the commercial comes on and states when E.F. Hutton talks, everybody hushed in the restaurant, everybody hushed in the gathering, and they turn their ear to listen for financial wisdom. If you go to any or most beaches or you go to many swimming pools in our nation or even a Abroad, you will find those who are willing and able to save if the issue and the problem is that you're drowning. They're called lifeguards. But most don't understand their need for the Savior. And their Savior. They're looking in all the wrong places. Salvation is a need, and it is a need for all. But that Savior must be one who is not only willing to save, but that Savior must be one who is able to save. And Jesus is the only one who is willing and able to save. To save you from the wrath of Almighty God. 
So what do we do? If the need is there and the need is there for all, what do we do? Well, I think we need to come just as this one came. Read these verses once again. One of the criminals who were hanged, they, they railed at him. This one railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him. Do, do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And this one, this thief, he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Jesus said to the thief, to the criminal who is calling out to him, truly, truly, I say to you, today, today you will be with me in paradise. Not only is there a need of salvation and there's a need for all to have salvation, but the word of salvation is spoken for the one who repents. The word is spoken for the one who who repents. The thief on the cross, taking his last breath, he is saved. He is saved gloriously and magnificently by a Savior who came to do just that for him and for all who are seated here today. I need you to go somewhere with me. I need you to go and just for a moment, hopefully I'll, I'll swing back around and I will tie the loose ends up. But, but you and I need to understand that Christianity is crazy. The thought of Christianity is absurd. It is ludicrous and crazy. The absurdity of Christianity, this chosen one, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. He is nailed to a tree. That is absolutely unheard of. Nobody understands that. Nobody gets that. Nobody nobody even thinks that. For the gentleman in the house today, let me remind you of a movie that I'm sure you have seen Ten times, if not more. And if you have not seen it, you need to see it. And ladies, you need to see it, if not for this one point, just to be there. And I mean, how many movies have we watched for you? You need to watch this one for us. It's called The Matrix. And in this movie called The Matrix, there is this chosen one. He is the chosen one. He is the one who is going to save humankind from the robots and the computers that are taking over. And there is one who has him by the throat, so to speak, and he is about to kill him. And and the Hollywood filmmakers, they get it. They they understand that if he dies, the chosen one, uh, the one who is going to save all mankind, that there is no sequel 
that there is no story after he dies. There is no second or third movie that comes along to gain more viewers and to gain more money and to finish the story if he dies. And here's what the enemy states. If he is the one, he's about to kill him. He's, he's about to kill the chosen one. And he says, if he is the one, if he's the Messiah, if he is the chosen one who is going to save us all, if he is the one, I shouldn't be able to kill him. But I'm about to kill him. So how can this be the one? And there's a pause. And if he's about to die, movie over, popcorn done, everybody's walking out the theater, everybody's turning off the TV. Just at that moment, before he kills him, this guy who is about to kill, he's fried. He's killed. Why? Here's why. Because the movie cannot end there. The chosen one, the Messiah, he cannot die. But that's exactly what is happening in Luke chapter 23. The chosen one, the Messiah, the Savior of the world who is bringing salvation to all mankind is nailed to the cross. You remember what Paul states in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He says this, for the word of the cross, the message of the cross, this word out of Luke chapter 23, out of Matthew, out of Mark, out of John, this word, the word of the cross, is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. It is a present active account. It's happening now and it will continue to happen. Those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Pastor and author in New York City named Timothy Timothy Keller, Tim Keller states it this way. He says, and I quote, Another way to put it, the, the only way to be a Christian is to be an unbelievably independent thinker. Because there's no culture, there's no party, there's no group, there's no socioeconomic sector. Nobody finds the cross sensible. Nobody does. Traditional cultures, listen, he says. The cross assumes a holiness to God. Do you see that? Sin has to be paid for. It assumes a holiness of God that liberal, secular cultures cannot handle. He goes on. But the cross, the cross assumes a freeness. The cross, an openness, almost a promiscuity to the grace of God that anyone, no matter how you have lived, no matter what you have done, you can come. The cross assumes a freeness to God's love that traditional societies can't handle. There's no society, no society that can handle the cross. Everybody agrees that it is stupid. The only way to be a Christian is to buck the tide, be an incredibly independent thinker, and be willing to look like an idiot. If you don't, you just go with the flow. Do you see how easy it is 
to miss. End quote. Last week, we looked at, at how two groups responded to Jesus. Those who got him and those who didn't. Those who were supposedly outsiders and they got him. I know it's backwards. And those who were socioeconomic, those that were in the in crowd, those that were insiders who failed to get him. And how both of those responses, those who got him and those who didn't get him, were broken into four subgroups. And I'm not going to go back and re-preach that, and you're welcome for that. But we do need to understand that there were those who got him, and there were those who didn't. And those who did not get Jesus outnumbered those who got him by a load. And the whole crowd, the Jewish elite, the the Roman elite, the Roman soldiers, the, the Jewish lowlies, they were screaming for his death. And even the one to his left and the one to his right, there was one who got it and one who did not understand. Many of us have looked at this verse. We've looked at this verse about a criminal in the 11th hour coming to Jesus. And that has been our thought. That's been society's thought. and I need you to think for just a second. Who would tell that lie? Who would serve that up and say, Hey, how about you, Brian? How about you, sir? You, ma'am? How about you? You just deal with, you focus on what practice the kids have to go to this week. You focus on what reports you have to turn in to the boss on Wednesday afternoon. You focus on uh, what's for supper this evening. You focus on what you want in this life. You focus on, man, where are the turkeys roosting so I can go kill one? You focus on, man, that is a new driver that I want. That is a new purse. That is a new dress. You focus on all the things of this life. And at the end of your life, the last little bit. Just like this guy, you can come to him. That's when you can give your life to him. Who tells that lie? The one who tells that lie is the enemy of Almighty God. He is the father of lies. His name is Satan. You say, there's the example. Yes, that is the example. And if there is one today on their deathbed, show me who or she is so that you and I might go and share this great word. But don't bet your eternity that you will be just like this. You and I are not guaranteed another moment. You and I are not guaranteed another day. We are not guaranteed the year of 40, the year of 50, the year of 30, the year of 12. We are not guaranteed another breath. So how do you know when your 11th hour is? We don't. 
you and I look at this passage and we say, man, that's what's happening here. It is the 11th hour. It is right before he dies and you and I are correct, but there is so much more that is going on in this for us just to take away from it. Hey, this is an 11th hour and this is what happens if somebody's on their deathbed, if my grandmother, my grandfather, my great-grandparents are on their deathbed, my friend's parents are on their deathbed, let me take this. There's so much more. And in the 10 plus minutes that we have remaining, let me try to unpack just a little bit of it. One great preacher of old, Charles Spurgeon, put it this way. Sirs, you know who it is that would ruin you by this suggestion. Suggestion that you come at the 11th hour. Abhor his deceitful teaching. Do not be ungrateful because God is kind. Do not provoke the Lord because he is patient. Such conduct would be unworthy and also ungrateful. Do not run an awful risk because one escape the tremendous peril. The Lord will accept all who repent. But how do you know that you will repent? It's true that one thief was saved, but the other thief was lost. One is saved, and we may not despair. The such diabolical stuff as to fetch from the mercy of God an argument for continuing in sin. If you do, I can only say of you, your eternal resting spot, hail, will be just. You will have brought it upon yourselves just as this one did. This one, one of the criminals who were hanged, railed at him. One of the criminals who hung right beside him stated, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Show me something and I will believe in you. Take me out of this terrible spot and I will be yours. Every single one of us have prayed that on one level or the next. Whether it was all the way back in school and we had failed to Study properly. God, if you get me out of this test, if you allow me to pass this course, if you just do this, I will, and fill in the blank. That's what he was doing. But then there was another criminal. His words, that moment... Those moments go deeper than an 11th hour appeal, a last ditch effort. They show a life change. First, he begins to rebuke the other thief. You see that in those verses? But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? Since you're under the same sentence of condemnation, since you're going to die here right beside this guy, do you not come to this 
moment and there be some type of sobriety, some awakening in you? Do you not fear God? It's genuine repentance. It's genuine love for the Savior. It's genuine love for the Father that is going on in this gentleman's heart and in his life. He begins to rebuke the other thief. He then confesses his sin and acknowledges the sentence is just. You and I are under this condemnation because of something that we did. We are justly here. This death penalty that you and I are serving thief to my side, whichever side it was, if he was the one on the left, it's to his right. If he was the one on the right, it's to his left. That he is speaking back and forth with this other thief, this other criminal. He said, our penalty is just. His confession was public. His confession was open and in the presence of all the witnesses in the crowd, if they were listening, they heard this confession. Third, he vindicates the character of Christ while he unequivocally condemns himself. This gentleman, this Christ, the the Messiah, Jesus, the one in between us, thief, the one there, he is here unjustly. It's nothing that he did. They put him here not because of anything that he did, but because he's there for you and he's there for me. His repentance is accompanied with faith in Christ. And he called out to him, Lord, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Multitudes were deriding him. His disciples had forsaken him. They had scattered. Possibly John was still there, and we'll see that from John's gospel next week. He was sinking under the weakness. He was sinking in disgrace. Yet this poor sinner owns and speaks of Him as Lord. When you come into your kingdom, He understood that He was a king. Even though He's nailed to the cross, even though He is taking His last breath physically, this gentleman, this thief and criminal, understood. His repentance is accompanied with an earnest prayer. Remember me. Those are the only words that you need to pray, that I need to pray, that any sinner needs to pray. That we recognize who He is and we ask that He might remember us. These thoughts, these words, these actions from this thief, they show repentance and that is where salvation comes. And you and I are here today, those of us who believe and we're saying, all right, Brian, I did that, I understand that. But do we? Do we understand that once we bow the knee, that once we cry out and say, you are, we confess with our mouth that you are our Lord and our Savior. Once that has come about, your life should be different. My life should be different. My wants should not be the same.
your wants should not be the same. Because we're no longer our own. We are His. He has bought us with His blood. And He is Lord. That means we are His servants. He is King. That means we are under Him. Yes, He allows us, as we sang a moment ago, to sit at His table. But it is at His desire. Not mine. This thief could never follow Christ in baptism or take the Lord's Supper, yet this repentant thief entered paradise, entered heaven that day when he breathed his last. Repentance is necessary for salvation, and it is needed at the level of this thief for you and for me to be saved. The emphasis of the story is not an 11th hour salvation, but it is a miraculous Life change. So often we look at it and say, oh. At the 11th hour he came. Do you know what? I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but when I look at that gentleman, I am jealous of him. I'm jealous of him. Because moments after he got saved, he entered into his rest. We read about it this morning. We sang about it this morning. May it not just be words that were spoken. May it not just be words that were sung. May it be words that have gripped us so much that this salvation that is ours, that we don't take it lightly, we don't take it for granted, That it is so cheap that yes, we come on Sundays, but it doesn't change us the other six days. Every single week. Yes, that we believe with our mouths and we believe with our minds that Jesus is Lord, but it does not change what we want, what we what we watch, what we say, what we do. It, it's just knowledge. Because if it's just knowledge, sir. If it's just knowledge, ma'am, if it's just knowledge, River Bend, then we are not like the one who repented. We are like the one who railed. And we are still in our sin, in need of a Savior. Salvation is there for you, and salvation is there for me. It is there. Not of anything that we have done, but it is there because of everything He has done. Heavenly Father, as we come this morning, Father, it's a sobering thought. Father, a sobering statement that all have sinned and fallen short of Your glory. That the payment, the wages of those sin, it is death and it is death eternally away from you in hell. But Father, your gift, your gift is life through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we come this morning.
to a time of response, a time of invitation. And God, we ask that you would draw people to yourself. For there is salvation in no one else. That there is no other name in heaven, under heaven, whereby anyone might be saved in the name of Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we stand and as we sing, God, I pray that salvation would come. Father, you have come. Your love has been displayed. Might we receive it. Ma'am and sir, kids, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, May this be a reminder of you for you this morning of the price that was paid, of what salvation is. It is a life change. It's not just a moment. It's not just a decision. It is a life change because the King of all kings has come into your heart and into your life. And you and I need to be reminded of salvation. But also in this time of response, Might your mind think of family members, of friends, of, of neighbors, of co-workers, of those that you come in contact with that, that don't know. May you spend time this morning and may their names continue to be on your mind and might you pray for them and might you speak. Oh, Father, that we would speak. You have commanded me and you have commanded us to proclaim the greatness of your name. As we go, we are to speak. Father, there are 90, 100 people in this room right now. God, you will spread us out all over this county, all over this region even this coming week. Father, might we take you with us and might we speak of the excellent name of Jesus, wherever you take us. You think about those friends, those loved ones, those acquaintances, those workers. You pray for them as we respond, as we stand and as we sing. The invitation is for you, and it is for me to respond to our great God. You stand.